each year leading up to the end of the year about uh, what God would have me to emphasize, what he would have me to preach on. And, and this past year, I felt like the Lord was just leading me to the book of Ephesians and the main theme being in Christ. And so we've just spent the whole year going through that. I have a new theme for the upcoming year, and, and we will be uh, looking at different texts throughout the year. So, so we don't have one book. We won't go uh, 40 sermons deep into one book next year. Uh, and so, uh, so I try to change it up a little bit. Uh, but uh, this morning, I'm excited to to get to the end of this letter, I, I'm, I've got mixed feelings. Uh, I'm a little bit sad for the book to end. I have so enjoyed uh, getting to take it verse by verse and to study it. And, and there is a bit of a security for me as a pastor knowing that, that I don't have to figure out what text to preach next Sunday. It's the next one that comes in this book. And so now all of a sudden I've lost my, uh, my safety net. And uh, so pray for me as I plan my preaching. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verses 23 and 24 are the closing lines of this letter uh, and uh, Paul writes peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity amen let's pray well Heavenly Father I do want to thank you as I think back over this year and the journey that we have made through your word. I thank you, Lord, for the, the riches uh, that are in the pages of Scripture that uh, are, are revealed to those who do the work of mining them out. Father, I just pray and ask that you would use what we've learned from the book of Ephesians to make us more like Christ. I pray that uh, the reality for believers of being in Christ would be realized and lived out every single day, that we might live in security and peace, uh, rejoicing in the blessings, uh, armored uh, in spiritual battle. All of it, Lord, I pray that we might uh, take it and uh, live it out from day to day. And Lord, I pray now that as we come to the end of this book that we would receive this final word and that it would echo in our ears as we go from this place. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Paul's final word to the Ephesian believers is, is sincerity. Sincerity, that's the last word before the final amen. You notice that there are other key words that were mentioned there like peace, love, faith, grace, and the Lord. And Paul has written on most of these terms earlier in the letter and simply reiterates them here in the closing lines. He is uh, simply giving them a reminder of some things that he has already dealt with uh, extensively. However, in the end, he is making two emphases. And those two emphases are the lordship of Christ and the sincerity of Christians. And that's the focus of our message today. The title is Sincerity in Christ. And the two main points that we're going to look at is the lordship of Christ and the sincerity of Christians. We see the emphasis on the lordship of Christ and that, that term is used twice there. It is Lord in verse 23 and Lord again in verse 24. And then that final word that, that has not been used in this letter at all that concludes it is sincerity. I would say that this is a, a good summation of how to live out the reality of being in Christ. Uh, as you think about it, we have 
spent an entire year expanding the main theme of Ephesians, which is in Christ. That phrase is, is used some 27 times in the letter. And, and we have talked about salvation in Christ, grace in Christ, blessings in Christ, wisdom in Christ, security in Christ, enlightenment in Christ, power in Christ, strength in Christ, unity in Christ, growth in Christ, identity in Christ, sanctification in Christ, spiritual armor in Christ, boldness in Christ, to name a few. And that covers a lot of ground, doesn't it? And so sometimes we get hit with all of this that we have in Christ, and we say, well, how do we actualize all of that in our life? I mean, we've covered so much ground and so many topics. How do we pursue all these different things at the same time? And Let me tell you, that really is the beauty of the Christian life. While it is so expansive and far-reaching in all of the areas of our life, it is really simplistic in the fact that if we just put Jesus first, all of these other things fall in line in our pursuit. We don't have to pursue security. We don't have to pursue sanctification. We don't have to pursue strength. We have to pursue Christ And then Christ does those things in our lives and through our lives. The key is given to us in the last sentence. It is to live sincerely under the lordship of Christ. Think about this. To do anything otherwise than to live sincerely under the lordship of Jesus Christ is to operate outside of Christ. It is to say, I've got this on my own. I can handle this. I don't need Christ to do it. And it takes us outside of his provision. And it takes us outside of his protection. And it takes us outside of his power. When you and I try to live independently of Christ, we forfeit his provision, his protection, his power in our life. But as we seek to sincerely submit ourselves To the lordship of Jesus Christ, we make the promises, the provision, the protection, and the power of Christ a reality in our life. This is the uniting factor that brings it all together and makes it all achievable. And so I would like to describe for you what lordship and sincerity are, and I would like to alert you to the danger of neglecting either of those. First off, uh, the lordship of Christ. The term lord from the Greek word kurios, and it means to he, he to whom a person or a thing belongs. Now I know in our culture and our society, there's an awareness about the atrocities of slavery from the past, and, and sometimes we shy away from anything that has to do with that subject. But you have to realize that in this day and time in the Roman Empire, that 20% of the people under the Roman Empire were slaves. That's one in five. Out of 60 million people under the Roman Empire, 12 million of them were slaves. Now, that's not to justify it, and that's not to neglect the wrongfulness of it, but what you need to know is that that term Lord, kurios, was a common term to every Greek-speaking person in that day and time, and they knew exactly what it meant. And to say that someone was, was a Lord meant that they 
owned something or someone. That is that they had the sovereign authority over that possession, whether it was material or whether it was a person. To say Lord was to say master. Now, no accident that God inspired that term to be used for Jesus Christ. After the resurrection, this title is only used for God the Father and God the Son. So before the resurrection, you'll hear Jesus tell some parables and there was a Lord who had some servants. But what you discover is that after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that title is never used for anybody else except for Jesus and for God the Father. That indicates a very small and exclusive circle of designees worthy of the title. Who's worthy of the title Lord? I believe Jesus said to his disciples, call no man master, call no man Lord, because there is only one Lord, there is only one master. And so the Bible makes it as if you're just scanning back and you were to read through the New Testament, you would notice something. That title Lord is reserved for God the Father and God the Son. Lord is actually the predominant title that is given to Jesus. It is used over 600 times in the New Testament. Now, his name, his birth name, Jesus, a Hebrew, Joshua, Jehovah saves, or Jehovah is our salvation. Uh, that, that, that name is used more, but title-wise, do you realize that Lord, the title Lord is used more than the title Christ in the New Testament? It's pretty interesting. Here's the comparison. By comparison, the title Savior is used 24 times in the New Testament. Lord, over 600, title uh, Savior, 24 times. Uh, if that weren't a great enough contrast, get this. Two-thirds of the time that the title Savior is used, it is used in conjunction with the title Lord or the title God. So eight times, God our Savior. Eight more times, Lord and Savior. Only eight times does the title Savior stand alone in reference to Jesus. And that contrast ought to alert you and I to the fact that while Jesus is the Savior of the world, he came into this world to save sinners. His primary identity is Lord. He's Lord. That is his true identity. What does it mean to submit to the lordship of Christ? You say, okay, I get it. Jesus is Lord. Lord means he's the master. He's sovereign in authority. That title is reserved for him. Nobody else on earth deserves that title. It is a title reserved for God, specifically God the Son. It is the most predominant title that he has. It really gets to the heart of the identity of who Jesus is. It wasn't just a guy named Jesus who saved us. It wasn't Jesus the prophet who saved us. It wasn't just a, an emanation of God to come in human form to save us. No, it was the Lord himself who became a man in order to save you and I. His identity is wrapped up in his lordship. So what does it mean to submit to his lordship? It means to submit to his authority over my life. It means that I, I relinquish 
my rights to rule my life. That's hard to do, isn't it? I don't know about you, but I, I don't like bosses. I like to be the boss. And while I don't like to boss other people, I like to boss myself. I like to be the boss of me. And one of the hardest things for us to do as human beings and as Christians is to say, you know what, I'm going to defer to the authority of Jesus Christ. I know what Justin wants, but Jesus might want something different. And if Jesus wants something different, then I've got to push down the desire of Justin, and I've got to pursue the desire of Jesus. Do you remember the parable of the wise man and the foolish man that Jesus gave in Luke 6? He, he, he gives this parable to an audience, and he says there was a man. He doesn't call him wise or foolish. We have given them descriptions. But he says there was a man. He says, every man who hears my word and does it is like to a man that built a house. And he dug down deep to the foundation, to the bedrock, and he built his house upon that bedrock. And a, a torrential storm came, and when the storm came, it beat vehemently against the house. But the house stood because it was built on the rock. He says, now everybody that hears my word and does not do it is like a man who built a house on the sand or on the earth. He didn't dig down on the foundation. He did the exact same work of building the house up, but it was built on an unstable uh, ground. And when the storm came, it destroyed and wrecked and annihilated that house. And so Jesus is teaching this parable, and he says, the only sure foundation in life is to build it on the Lord Jesus Christ, on his word. The storm represents the judgment of God that's going to come. God's judgment is coming, and your house is either going to stand or it's going to fall. And it doesn't matter how ornate and how well-developed your life has been, if it is not built on the foundation of the word of God, it will be destroyed in the judgment. Do you know what precipitated that parable? Anytime Jesus gives a parable, it's precipitated by something that's going on. In Luke 6, 46, he said this, Why do you call me Lord and do not the things that I say? And then he says, Those that hear my word and do it is like the man that built a house and dug down the foundation. It was precipitated by the fact that there were people who were using the title Lord, but were totally ignoring what it meant. That is the danger. That's the danger. It is giving lip service to Jesus Christ as Lord, but resisting his authority in the matters of my life. And I would say to you that that speaks to a battle that every believer is going to face in their life. We call him Lord. We sing songs about him, Lord. We read the scriptures and it says Lord, but we don't actually submit to his authority in our lives. Why? Because it contradicts what I want to do. The Lord said, don't love the world. And yet, too often, we fall in love with the world. The Lord said that marriage is between one man and one woman. And we've got headlines that say that our legislators have decided to, to change that. The Lord said, don't have sex outside of marriage, hetero or homo. And the list goes on and on and on. 
And if we're submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, we say, I I don't care what the culture says. I don't care what the legislation says. I don't even care what my own fleshly desires are. I'm going to do what the Lord wants me to do. And that is where the struggle happens in our lives. Our flesh doesn't like that. And so we say, I love Jesus and I I want to be saved, but, but I don't want to live by his narrow rules. So I will make my own. How many Christians are there professing to be Christians in this world who want to totally ignore the authority of Jesus in so many areas of their life and then claim, I love Jesus. I love Jesus and I want to praise Jesus. Well, if you don't recognize his lordship in your life, you're worshiping a made-up Jesus, an imaginary Jesus, a Jesus to whom you've assigned things that he never endorsed. In fact, Paul actually warned the Ephesian church about this in Acts 20, 30. On his trip to Rome, he stops by on the outer shores of Ephesus and he meets with the elders of the church and he, he, he encourages them to feed the flock and to stand strong, to preach the word. And he, he says, but I know, I know grievous wolves are going to enter in and they're going to divide the flock. And then he makes this statement, which is the most shocking to me. He says in Acts 20, 30, of your own selves. Now he's speaking to the elders of the church, the pastors Of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. That's the danger of rejecting the lordship of Jesus Christ. You say, I may not be trying to lead a movement, but my friend, if you are espousing anything that is contradictory to what Jesus has said, you and I are guilty of the exact same crime. And we will not experience all the benefits of being in Christ if we live outside of the lordship authority of Christ over our lives. I really, this has been a burden on my heart for almost all of my ministry, 20 years now. It's the lordship of Christ. Because I really think that that's where the failure comes in for most of us. We want Jesus to save us. We want to go to heaven when we die. We, we want to, to praise the Lord. We want to do some things for the Lord. But we really struggle with allowing him to be the Lord of our life, to be our master, to be our supreme authority, to realize that every morning when I get up, I am not a free agent to do whatever I want to do, but every day I ought to start with, Lord, what would you have me to do? I think one of the greatest examples of this is the, is the Apostle Paul. When, when he got saved, he was, he was such an enemy of the church. He was attacking the church, and he was pursuing them into distant cities so that he could attack them. And Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus, and, and, and Saul says, Who are you, Lord? And the voice says, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard to kick against the pricks. In other words... He was receiving some conviction in his heart and his mind. There were some pricks that were happening as he was trying to kick against the work of God. But do you know what the very next thing that he said was? After he recognized who Jesus, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus. Lord, what would you have me to do? 
I know no better formula for the Christian life than that. Confess Jesus as your Lord and then consult him as your Lord. Lord, what would you have me to do? Don't kid yourself. If, you, if you're rejecting, absolutely rejecting the authority of Jesus Christ in your life on some matter, then you are not recognizing and respecting him as Lord. The second point is the sincerity of Christians. The word sincerity here means purely, without corruption, genuinely, without hypocrisy. You know, we catch a lot of flack as Christians, and, and a lot of times one of, the, uh, one of the accusations that is made by people if they leave a church or get offended is, well, there are a bunch of hypocrites down there, and every Christian seems to have this phobia about being labeled as a hypocrite. I don't want to be a, a, called a hypocrite. I don't want to be a hypocrite because a hypocrite is duplicitous. Uh, they say one thing and they do another. They have one face here and a different face there. They are two-sided, two-faced. They are double-minded, and so we don't want that. What do we want? We want to be sincere. We want to be genuine. We want to be pure. We could substitute words like truly, uh, genuinely, earnestly, or wholeheartedly. I think that it's very similar to the great commandment that Jesus gave in Mark chapter 12 when he says, Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all your strength. What does it mean to, to love Jesus in sincerity? It means to love him with all that you are. A pure love, an uncorrupted love, an undivided love. You know, this goes hand in glove with the lordship of Christ. Jesus made it crystal clear on the night before he was crucified when he is spending those final hours with his disciples. I want you to listen to this repeated refrain that he left echoing in their ears. In John chapter 14, verse 15, he said, If you love me, keep my commandments. Oh, wait a minute. He just conjoined love and lordship, didn't he? If you love me... Truly me, the Lord, then you will keep my commandments. A couple of verses later, verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And so it's not just having his commandments. It's not just knowing his commandments. It is keeping his commandments that is an indication of the sincerity of our love. Again, a couple of verses later, verse 23. If a man love me, he will keep my words. And a final time in that same chapter, a couple of verses later, verse 24, Jesus said, He that loves me not keeps not my sayings. And so I'm telling you, friends, that this is what we need as Christians. It is to sincerely love the Lord Jesus Christ. And that sincerity of love is a commitment to wholehearted obedience. Loving Christ in sincerity is more than just feeling of the heart. It's more than just a, 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 an expression of the lips. It is the action of obedience. Sometimes we, we confuse these things and we say, well, I, just, I have a warm feeling about Jesus. I, I love Christmas time and the baby Jesus. I just love Jesus. It just makes me feel good. 
And sometimes we, we take confidence and say, well, you know, I like to sing praise songs and I turn on to K-Love and I come to church and I give him love and praise with my lips. But if, if there's not obedience, there is a major piece missing in our love for Jesus Christ. It is more than just a feeling of the heart. It is more than just lip service. It has to be lived out in action. True wholehearted love for Christ will, will change the orientation of your life. How many married people in the room? Would you raise your hand? All right. Uh, married men, would you, would you raise your hands up here? Is your life different now as a married man than it was as a single man? Yeah. You say, what's the difference? Well, I got a new orientation. Before I got married, my life revolved around me. What does Justin want to drive? What does Justin want to eat? What kind of clothes does Justin want to wear? You know, all those things. That was my orientation. It was just me. That's all I had to worry about. Didn't have no wife, no kids, nobody, you know, just me. All of a sudden, I fall in love. Ask this woman to marry me. And I say these vows that I'm going to forsake all others. I'm going to commit myself to her. And you know what I discovered is now all of a sudden my life has been reoriented. It can't be all about me anymore. Now, because of my love for her, my life is oriented around her. Well, that really is a great description of what it means to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't your buddy who rides shotgun with you on all the stuff that you want to go do. Jesus is the sun to your solar system. He is the one around whom you rotate. You orient. Everything now is about him. What does he want me to do? Where does he want me to go? What does he want me to say? Here's the danger. Uh, Paul, you remember, obviously, is writing to the uh, church at Ephesus. But this is not the last letter written to the church at Ephesus. It's the only letter, it's the last letter that Paul wrote to them. But, but do you realize that 30 years later, Jesus appeared to the apostle John with a message to the seven churches of Asia? And the first church on the list was Ephesus. And so if you would, if you've got your Bible, would you go to Revelation chapter 2? We're, we're coming in for a landing. I can, I can see the airport from here. First on the list is Ephesus. So this is 30 years later. We, we just left Ephesians chapter 6 verse 24. 30 years have passed. And Jesus has another letter for the church of Ephesus. Revelation 2, 1, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say that they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. So good, so far, so good. Nevertheless, I, who's writing here? Who's speaking here? Jesus. Not Paul, not John. It's not them who have the issue. It is the Lord Jesus. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. 
What happened to the church of Ephesus? They lost the sincerity of their love. That's really what it comes down to. Paul's last word to them, love Jesus in sincerity, without corruption, without duplicity, without division of affections. And a short 30 years later, Jesus says, hey, guys, got to call you out on something. You're doing a lot of good stuff in your church. And you've got some good ministries going on. You're laboring. I mean, uh, from the outside, it looked like things are, are going really well. But I have an issue with you. You've left your first love. You've lost your sincerity. Oh, they were still going to church and doing ministry. But when Jesus looked into their hearts, he could see that he no longer held first place in their affection. And I say to you that this is the danger that comes with being saved for a long time. I, I've been saved now for 27 years. And in my own life, I can see the danger of losing the sincerity of love. When we first get saved, we're so in love with Jesus that we would do anything for him. We would sacrifice anything. Do you remember how you felt when you first experienced salvation? And you realized that Jesus saved your miserable, sinful soul. And you were so excited. And you wanted to tell other people about it. And you looked forward to church. And, and, and every time there was a church service, you wanted to be there. And every sermon that you heard, man, you were just drinking it in like you were drinking from a fire hydrant. You were just eating it up and it was so great and then somewhere along the way as the years go by the temperature of our love seems to subtly cool down degree by degree that we hardly notice it and we find that we may be in the same condition that the church of Ephesus is in let me ask you, if Jesus were to look into your heart today, what would he see? Would he see a pure heart, a sincere heart of love, or would he, he see duplicity? Would he see a heart that is divided in its affections, a heart that, that, that loves Jesus but kind of loves the world, and a heart that loves Jesus but kind of loves self, and a heart that loves Jesus but kind of loves a few of these little sins, and, and you're trying to gather them all into the same room and have a little small group with Jesus, the world, your flesh, and sin. And let me tell you something, that is not loving Christ in sincerity. That's kind of like trying to get your wife, your girlfriend, and your mistress together. Right? I know that's a little bit graphic to think about, but let me tell you something. It's way more offensive. It's way more offensive to Christ for us to have a divided affection. What is Jesus' prescription? Revelation 2, 5. Remember repent return you know what's wonderful about our lord is that he doesn't beat us he doesn't abuse us he doesn't misuse us he is actually a master who makes our lives better and the things that he assigns us to do are the things that are best for us and when we stray and when we run away and when we don't love him the way that we love him he loves 
us and he calls us back and he reminds us of the love that he had for us so that we can love him because he first loved us. And so today, friend, if your love isn't as sincere as you think it ought to be for Christ, the good news is the path is straight, the distance is short, and Jesus is waiting. Remember, repent, and return. Would you bow with me? Oh, Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much for your word. I know no greater comforting truth than the fact that Jesus is Lord. It means that there is one who has authority over all matters in the universe. It means that there is one who knows what is best for everyone else. It means that I don't have to stress and worry and try to figure out what I want to do and where I should go and what is best for me and my family. It means that I have one who will guide me, one who will protect me, one who will provide for me. Oh God, forgive us for not loving you the way that you love us. You know our flesh, that it is weak. You know our frame, that it is but dust. You know uh, the temptations that we fight every single day that are vying for our love and affection. And to be honest, we don't always fight them off. Sometimes we give in. So, Lord, I pray that today we would examine our own hearts for the sincerity of love And that if we find that we have shared our affections with anyone or anything else that competes with you, that challenges you, that contradicts you, Lord, I pray that we would repent of that and that we would run into your arms and that we would love you sincerely, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stand with